In the second part of the three-part series with Erin Lynham, she will explore nature analogies that help children understand the parallels between God and nature, while also using nature to provide the absolute truth of God and His Word. We all know that parenting is hard work and life can get busy. We've done the research to help you. So let's dig deep with Leanne Mancini and work together to help you raise strong Christian kids. Hello and welcome back to Raising Christian Kids for our second part with Erin Lynham. And she is a certified master naturalist, Bible teacher, and author of the book, Rooted in Wonder, Nurturing Your Family's Faith Through God's Creation. She is a wife, mama to four, and host of the podcast, Nat Theo, Nature Lessons Rooted in the Bible, a podcast for kids. And by the way, I love your new podcast. I'm so happy that you put that together. I think kids are going to love it. So will parents. And I'm so thankful to have you again on the show for the second part of um, our discussion. Thank you, Leanne. It's been such a fun project, that podcast. We're having a lot of fun with it, just taking all these nature analogies and bringing in biblical truth for families. And there's so many of them. There's I, I keep coming up with future episode ideas, and it's like they just don't stop coming. <laughs> well, can you give us a few of those analogies real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one that we did on episode two is with monarch butterflies and milkweed plants. So monarchs are a specialized species. This means that they only lay their eggs on one plant, and that is milkweed. But milkweed is actually a toxic plant. When an insect bites into it, it lets out this oozy, sticky sap that will glue the insect's mouth shut and it starves to death. So why would a monarch butterfly lay her eggs on this plant? Well, the caterpillars, have they, what they do is they go down to the vein of the leaf and they sever it. So they're cutting off the flow of toxic sap, and then they can go back up to the leaf and freely eat it. And so using that analogy to talk about, you know, when we sense that something is harmful in our life, whether that be a false idea or a harmful relationship or a bad habit, we need to go to the source of that and sever it and cut it off. And God's spirit helps us do that. He has tucked that that knowledge into us, that wisdom and that discernment that we can cut those things off at their source. And then the last episode we did was on deer shedding their antlers. So deer and animals in the deer family, whether it be elk or moose or caribou, they shed their antlers every year and regrow a new pair. And so we can use that analogy to talk about putting off what is old. And you know, just like antlers on a deer regrowing year after year, sometimes our sin tendencies creep back up and we need to reshed those and keep putting them off while we live on a broken earth affected by sin. But knowing that one day we won't have to shed those anymore. And that even now, when we're still struggling with our sin tendencies, God looks down on us and sees us as whole and complete and forgiven. And he helps us live day by day to put off those old ways. I love that. Now, have your children repeated this back to you, some of these things when they're doing something maybe they shouldn't be doing or, hey, mom, I remember you said, have you heard that often? Yeah, I love it. I love seeing, well, for one, they love the podcast, which just means so much to me. (laughs) They're always like, oh, when's the next Nat Theo coming out? Because they love hearing these lessons and I bounce ideas off of them. I'm like, hey, what if we do this or include this little game or these questions? So it's fun that I have this little like test audience. But then, yeah, to see them using these same analogies. And on the first episode, we talked about what Jesus' favorite bird might have been. I love house sparrows. I love birds in general. Our whole family does. We go bird watching all the time. 
but house sparrows are one of the most prevalent birds in the world. And my favorite fact about a house sparrow is that the oldest fossil of one ever discovered was in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And so I can watch these sparrows, these house sparrows in my yard and think about Jesus growing up as a child with the same sights and sounds and watching these same birds. And I love that in the gospels, Jesus talks about feeding, feeding the birds and how God so carefully tends to creation. And so of course, he's going to take care of us, his children. And so now my kids can watch these same sparrows out our window every single morning and make that connection and remember, wow, God is taking care of us. Oh, I love it. I just love it. You have so many examples like this in your book, Rooted in Wonder. Please, I urge you parents to get this book. You will thank me for it. I can tell you that. It's really great. Well, you also discuss how absolute truth can be proved by the nature of God's creation. Can you give us an example or a couple examples? This is such a powerful connection for our kids, especially in today's culture, where they are growing up in this relativistic arena, postmodernism that says, everything's up to your own definitions. You can just say what something is, and that's what it is. And your reality is good for you, but mine is good for me. And all of it is so wishy-washy, but God is not wishy-washy. And in his creation and everything he's made, we see order and method and natural laws that we need to live in harmony with and really respect. And so one story I share is we were up in Rocky Mountain National Park, which is pretty close to where we live. And we were exploring this area that we'd been to many times before. It's not far from the parking lot. And my husband took our three boys to the lake to go fishing. My daughter and I hung out by these little creeks playing for a while. And then we went to go rejoin the boys. And we rounded the bend in the trail into this wild scene where this mama moose and her calf are making their way through the water right by my husband and sons. And my husband explained to me what had happened a moment before we walked into the scene. The boys were, you know, about ankle deep in the water. They're just casting their lines. And this calf yearling moose comes running out of the woods towards them. And my husband, he grew up in the wild with wildlife. And so he knew what to do and he got the boys away from the moose. But my husband knew that by the age of this calf, mama was surely still around. And so he is scanning the woods. And sure enough, this mama moose comes huffing and puffing out of the woods with her ears pinned back, marching down the trail toward them. And so my husband like hurried and got the boys out of her trajectory so that she could get to her calf and get it safely away. But these experiences, these encounters, and this is not our only moose encounter, and we've had a mountain lion on our street and black bear in our driveway, moose in the lake we live on, like all these encounters show us, we don't get to tell nature what to do. We don't get to project kindness on that mama moose and say, oh no, you're, you're a kind moose. You're not going to harm my children. No, she's going to do what she's going to do. Nature shows our kids reality. And let me clarify, nature shows our kids objective reality, what is. And I love this quote from the classic novel, 1984. And in it, the author writes, so this book is all about like society trying to do away with truth and history. And in it, he writes, the solid world exists. Its laws do not change. Stones are hard. Water is wet. It seems so simple, but it is so profound that as we get our kids out in nature, we can point them to the details of it and the natural laws 
Like when we are out hiking with our kids, we do a lot of training with, you know, paying attention to the weather patterns. If you feel a cold front coming in, you better be turning around and getting out of those woods. We don't get to decide the weather. We don't get to decide what the wildlife does. We have to cooperate with those elements. And so giving our kids as much of that exposure as we can and a practical way we can do this is teaching them to see and state things clearly as they are. And so you can do a little activity with your child that you take them to a natural area, whether that be a pond or a river or even just a grassy area by the park. And you say, okay, stay within safe distance, but I want you to go find something. It can be a bird, an insect, a flower, a plant. I want you to come back to me and describe it to me the best that you can. What is it doing? Is it swaying? Is it singing? Does it look like it's dancing? And what colors are it? How big is it? Bring me back a good description. You're teaching your child to observe the details and state it as it is. And then you get to guess what it is that they found. You get to go back with them to see it and then give them a few more descriptor words that can help grow their vocabulary and help them to see the details even closer. In doing this, you are training them in careful observation to get at the details of something, to not just assume what it is or guess what it is or see it as something fuzzy or undefinitive but really help them to see, no, this has contrast. This is definitive. God has created this in a certain way. Oh, I, I love that. What a, I'm going to remember that from when I have grandkids. <laughs> what a great way to teach children about objective truth. You know, that setting that pattern, that mindset, that category in their mind, that vocabulary. I, I think that's so important. And what a fun game. Mom, come on, yeah, mom. Can't yeah. you guess? Come on, mom. It, you know, that's yeah, you can like so have much so fun. much fun with this. This isn't, I mean, yeah, it's deep topics when we talk about absolute truth. And in the book, I, I talk about climate change and, you know, there's the areas of evolution and, you know, we can introduce our kids to these super important concepts and how to approach them from a biblical standpoint. That was another episode we did on the Nat Theo podcast. What does the Bible say about climate change? bringing it to them on their level so they understand it, but most importantly, bringing it back to the Bible and making it fun, adding in these games and these visuals. I'm working on one right now, an episode about teaching our kids about linguistic theft. That is this complex concept that words are being hijacked in society. They are being just tossed around and totally torn from their original meaning. A lot of biblical words are being stolen by society, repackaged, and fed as lies to our children. Oh, well, I'm going to have to have you back on the show just to talk about that, because that is such <laughs> an important topic. Yes. <laughs> well, also in your book, could you explain invasive pastimes choke the ecosystem of our souls? I love that. Thank you. Yeah, this analogy really just came to my mind one day as I was playing at the creek with my daughter. And so we have in nature native plants. Those are plants that belong where they are. They lend to the ecosystem. They're healthy and helpful. We also have invasive species. These are foreign species that have snuck in. They might even look beautiful. Walking by, you probably wouldn't know it was invasive, but it can totally just overwhelm the landscape and choke it of life. And so I use invasive species and talk about it like technology and media. And there's three important similarities. The first is that both of these are recent introductions. Invasive species were brought in from foreign lands within the past couple hundred of years. 
The same is true with technology. It is a recent issue. Mine is the first generation of parents having to navigate this highly technological world full of screens and really figure out how do I raise my kid well in this? And so just like an ecologist who is scrambling to like, you know, just rein in these invasive species of plants, we parents sometimes feel like we are scrambling, just figuring out what do we do with all this technology? The second similarity is that both came with good intentions. Foreign plants were brought in to lend exotic beauty to our gardens. Like, whoa, that's beautiful. Why don't we bring that over and plant it here? Same with technology. It came with a lot of good applications and a lot of benefits and a lot of good intentions. But the third similarity is that when both are left unchecked, they completely control the arena. They completely take over and devour the landscape. So invasive plants have the upper hand on a landscape. They don't have any of their natural predators that they do back home. And so they just start spreading and taking over and choking out the belonging native plants. The same is true with technology. If we don't keep it in balance and rein it in, it quickly devours the landscape of childhood. And so, but you know, this can be so daunting. Like in my first book, when I talk about that, we have 936 weeks of childhood. You look at the average child and they're spending 205 of those weeks. That's almost 22% of their childhood with a device. Wow. Compare that, right? Compare that to they are spending an average of 4.55 weeks. That's 0.48% of their childhood outside. There is this extreme imbalance, but just like an ecosystem, there is hope. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality, but we can restore balance. And I've seen that with ecosystems where I teach classes in our community, that these areas that were just ravaged by invasive plants, we've been able to restore them with volunteer efforts. And the same is true with our kids. Like if you are so overwhelmed thinking too far gone, my kids are too addicted to screens. I cannot get them outside. Do not give up hope. God is going to bless your efforts and it takes these small changes and he honors those and he wants your child to spend their time well. I agree with that. Children want us to spend time with them. My children loved that I was able to spend a lot of time with them and I didn't face the obstacles that parents are facing now with all this screen time and these, you know, phones. We didn't have those phones. My kids didn't have phones when they were young. But we have so much more to talk about. I'm going to make a third part. My listeners will equally agree that this is really great stuff for parents and ministry leaders, anybody raising the next generation. And so this is how we all work together to raise strong Christian kids. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. 